We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drafting an underdog resurrection team. That's what we're going to be doing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen from the newsletter, BenGretchenSubsite.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we're firing it up. For anyone who is uh, wants to follow us over on YouTube, you can see the, the draft. In, in You can watch the draft instead of just listen to the draft. But we are about to start uh, an underdog resurrection draft. I've not done one of these. I've heard a couple comments on ADP stuff, but I'm pretty excited to do it. Just got fired up. We are picking from the 112. It started Justin Jefferson, Saquon Barkley, Cooper Cup. Very interesting. It is. And anybody who wants to draft with us, not with us specifically, but in this awesome tournament this awesome format you can use the coupon code rotoviz to sign up you get that 100 deposit match up to 100 ben there are approximately 24 hours remaining in this contest it's not full it has a 100 000 grand prize for only 10 bucks to enter i feel like this is going to be our deal in a mid-season draft like this i guess i'm not nearly as worried about having the 112 we should be able to put together a fun team we'll, we'll see how we feel about it after we have actually concluded the draft, but uh, this is a really fun way to see where we are on players after five weeks and to see where the community is and what hundred grand. So this should be really cool. Yeah. And one of the questions we got was about three quarterbacks having first round ADPs in this contest right now. Josh Allen goes 104, McCaffrey 105, Diggs 106. I think it's, Definitely interesting to see how high the quarterbacks have risen. Certainly so far, the elite quarterbacks have been a huge, huge advantage to anyone who took them, as well as, you know, the elite tight ends, as long as your name's not Kyle Pitts, but Kelsey and Andrews, anyone who started with a Kelsey or Andrews and then a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, and you have both of those onesie positions with, you know, the elites that have hit, you're loving life right now. I mean, I have a couple of teams like that, and they are, you don't really need a lot else to be in first place. It's a fantastic uh, advantage. Jackson does go. Kelsey has gone. Andrews goes. They all go in the top 10 picks, other than, I guess, Hurts. He has not gone yet. Um, we saw Nick Chubb there at 109 as well. Pretty interesting. So we are on deck. I guess my first thought as we get, come up and Hurts does go is that Jonathan Taylor isn't that injured. I mean, do, do you like him here at the 1-2 one, one, turn? 
Yeah, I think you have to look at Eckler, you have to look at Henry, you have to look at Jonathan Taylor as a little bit of a bounce back, a discount candidate. Those would probably be my guys. I think Jamar Chase also the bounce back option here. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking Taylor Chase. I, I would go with two running backs, though, if you want to anchor. We do have a lot more knowledge about the running backs right now. Uh, I'm comfortable with either Eckler or Henry or, or Chase, any, any of those guys. Well, let's make it a fun draft and try and play a few of the discounts here. I think if you can go Taylor Chase to start, if you have the 112, and Mark Andrews would have been my guy. Not surprisingly, he goes at the 110. He should be I would argue he should five. be going earlier than that. Yeah. yeah. So we don't get him. But we get Taylor. We get Chase. If nothing else, it's going to be a really fun team. We always talk about don't come out of the draft and have a team that you don't enjoy. Then what are your thoughts on Derek Henry right now? I know Blair and I actually drafted a decent amount of him in Superflex when we were in situations in a format where if you don't get the top QBs, then one of the things that can happen is it actually pushes down some of these running backs even beyond where you would get them. Otherwise, Henry's somebody who finally more appropriately priced for what his volume profile is. And then if he beats that, which again is, is always a possibility when you have an elite talent like Henry, he could go through a stretch where he outperforms. All of these guys had red flags. One of the things that was uh, the biggest takeaway very clearly from week five, but the old running backs bounce back. More or less all of them look good and by good at least solid enough to where their workload and the efficiency is going to be within the range that you can pay for them more comfortably now i think henry bouncing back was you know pretty predictable if you will i know i did a, a radio spot i think after week two and got asked who i thought was most likely to bounce back among the early running backs i think i picked him because he, he's getting a lot of work there, I think there are still concerns. He got five green zone touches in, in week five, which was fantastic. I always talk about how the green zone touches are pretty variable just on a team level. You don't necessarily guarantee a lot of plays down there. Uh, he had only had two through the first four weeks. So we, you know, we talk about like Joe Mixon has been really inefficient and gotten a lot of green zone touches. And the Bengals offense probably going to continue to create those chances. Sometimes it feels like you're saying, uh, sort of being unfair to mix in because if he's getting that much work, he's going to score. Part of it is you're not guaranteed to get that much work, even if you're the guy who's the clear running back that's going to get that work on that team because the team might not, not necessarily run a lot of plays there. One of the issues with the Bengals is they have not had a lot of big plays in their passing game. If they start to get some long touchdowns, you know, Jamar Chase starts actually hitting on some of this stuff down the field. And, and Joe Burrow had a really low dot in week five. And they're trying to kind of, I think, limit the the hits he's taking. But if they do start to develop that at some point, right, that's going to negatively impact the number of plays that they're running inside the time. Not necessarily the percentage of plays that Mixon is going to get. And so anyway, the flip side of that coin is Derrick Henry, there's probably no running back in the league that is more likely to be not just the running back that gets the touches inside the 10 for his team, but the player. I mean, he's going to get all of their looks in that in that area. And he only had two through four games. I mean, any player can go through that stretch if the team level sort of demands it, they won two of those games and yet they didn't run a lot of plays inside the 10. He gets a bunch of those back in week five and we know he'll have those opportunities, but I do think based on where their offense is at with Traylon Burks out, I mean, I, I think there's concerns. I mean, the last three weeks they played the Raiders, the Colts, the commanders, those are not necessarily great teams. They get the Colts and Texans in the next couple of weeks. They're going to have some games. I mean, week nine, they're at Kansas city. 
I don't think this version of the Titans is going to compete with Kansas City the way that some past teams have. They're going to have some games where they're going to be out of it, and Henry's not going to be able to get the work. A lot like week two when they got blown out in Buffalo, Henry did get a TD in that game, but he only ran 13 times, 25 yards, no catches. I think he's going to have a few more games like that because the team is going to be bad, and they're not going to generate enough opportunities. We've seen some of that early. I, I wouldn't have expected his two greens on touches over the first four weeks to be you know, the trend for the rest of the way. But, um, and, and like I said, bounce back big time in week five, but it did, ex- you know, express some concern, I think over the next, uh, you know, the rest of the way in terms of whether he'll be at the same level of goal line touches overall, because the offense just maybe won't be as good. And you mentioned some of the schedule elements there. They do play in the AFC South. He does have the number two remaining schedule so that should prop him up also someone who can score a little bit from distance austin eckler has been the king of that so far he's someone who probably is going to have a hard time maintaining his scoring level but i mean anybody's gonna have a hard time maintaining the scoring level he's been at over the past couple weeks we're about to wrap back in to the three four turn some interesting names still available here if we want to go hyper fragile ramondre stevenson and kenneth walker both have big bumps due to injuries, their interesting names. Jalen Waddle's dealing with the quarterback issue and his own injury. Who do you like here? Walker's ADP is a lot lower than this, but I, I like taking that swing at this point. He's been getting some pass routes and looks like, I mean, we'll talk about him more after our second pick, but yeah, he kind of stood out to me. 64 ADP, we're taking him at pick 36. I think that's way too low on him. Stevenson makes sense too, but Harris probably not out as long. Some potential that they work in guys like Ty Montgomery or something in the short term. But I mean, I, I would become very comfortable with Stevenson if you want to go hyper fragile here. Well, let's do that. That's a little bit of a fun play. I think that we're going to have a lot of these discount slash bounce back options at receiver later. Yeah. It seems that way. We had some good options there. We had Waddle, we had Godwin, we had Deontay. The Walker thing, I mean, he was already running some routes. It's that classic thing we always talk about with the backup or, or you know, the guy in the two-man committee or what have you, that he's almost certainly, in my mind, going to take over the Penny role, but also get more than Penny got because he doesn't have a Walker thing. Walker was getting some design touches, running some routes already, doing some stuff in the passing game. Obviously, they're going to use a third down passing back. They've done it with Travis Homer. They did it a little bit with DJ Dallas. I think that will stick in this offense. But Walker's going to get all the targets on the early downs, which, I mean, he's he's going to play a lot now, right? He is. And the other element here is that the Seahawks have been much more explosive than anticipated. They had uh, some hiccups early on, but recently with Metcalf looking like the Metcalf that we've seen, with Tyler Lockett looking uh, like the best version of himself wrote about both of those guys in Monday's article. It's not that we don't expect a Geno Smith led offense that has the coaching staff that the Seahawks have to stumble at times. We don't expect them to be one of the highest scoring offenses in NFL, but the idea that they would completely limit the back, probably something we don't have to be nearly as worried about here and going from two guys down to one. I mean, this is his value is much higher than where Penny's value would have been. And you have the possibility that he very quickly emerges as one of the best backs in the entire NFL. You've got a guy who's 210 plus pounds and runs a 438-40. We're looking for big play guys. I mean, I think Walker is a clear RB1 
rest of way. He goes as the 14th running back off the board to us here. That's too inexpensive. Yeah. Again, weird to see his ADP at 64. Maybe that's. And partly a lot of his drafts drafts will have happened before. Prior. Prior to the penny entry. That's what's going to. Yeah. Cool. So it, it is a half PPR format on underdog. We start with Taylor and Walker and Ramondre. Ramondre is going to, it seems in the short term, be the three down back and have a nice receiving role as well. But I think of all those guys as guys that you like a little bit more in half, Ramondre just because of the Patriots offense and and how, you know, being the lead rusher in an offense that wants to be run heavy and, and wants to convert drives on the ground. Obviously, Damon Harris had a ton of rushing TDs last year. We expect a lot of that to shift over to Stevenson this year. It's a really nice package for half PPR to start with three backs like this. And then we also have Jamar Chase as our, you know, sort of anchor at wide receiver. John, I'm looking at the queue now as we're approaching our five, six turn. I guess I didn't realize, uh, you know, where a lot of these guys would be going, but we have Kyle Pitts at the top of our queue right now. I mean, I feel great about taking, <laughs> about just martingaling Kyle Pitts and, and taking him at the five, six. Dallas Goddard goes one pick ahead of us. You also have Hawkinson in there, but most of the other tight ends have gone. What do you think? Well, the offensive context has been disastrous, but especially if Drake London is a little bit dinged up. And this is a team that's going to have to pass more. This is an absurd value here. And my preference on these types of situations is to lean into them. Yeah, me too. So I'm glad we make the Kyle Pitts pick there. The other pick here is tougher for me. You have a lot of receivers in there. Romeo Dobbs, Rashad Bateman, Tyler Lockett, George Pickens, Garrett Wilson, Jerry, Judy, Elijah Moore. I think we can go a lot of different directions here. Would you feel comfortable with Pickens to start? Sure. So then that leads us into the next discussion from week five. We get Kenny Pickett out there. They're in a situation where they're pretty overmatched, but he does fight. We see how garbage time could lead to a good situation for him and for this receiving court. Deontay Johnson makes his second crazy one-handed catch of the year down at about the two-yard line. Unfortunately, his toe was on the line. That one gets taken away, but I think it's a positive sign. George Pickens is caught another ball in the end zone where his toe came down on the line. I mean, he had two catches down close. So I, I guess my enthusiasm for these guys, and hopefully I haven't seen news this week, but hopefully the Friar Muth situation will clear up fairly quickly. This is a team with a lot of weapons. I, yeah. I like targeting the Steelers. There's only so much you can do to take away George Pickens when you're having to deal with Deontay Johnson at yeah. that front. Deontay Johnson had gone in this draft for anyone who's curious, but the Pickens pick is one that's buying into the Steelers. I wrote them up positively in stealing signals this week as well, Sean, which is, you know, they got beat 38 to three. So like maybe not what people would expect. But Pickens winds up throwing 52 passes. They have their highest pass rate over expected of this season, only their second time having being in the positive, and they were well in the positive. And that was against a very high expected pass rate, right? Harris is struggling. They're starting to use more Jalen Warren. They're already talking about how that might stick a little bit. I talked about this with Pickens before this week, that the inability to run the ball was a positive. I mean, the Steelers are going to let it go if they're – quarterback isn't Mitchell Trubisky basically and that's what they showed this week that Pickens gave them enough life that they were willing to throw a ton they threw 52 times again part of that was the trailing script probably part of it was getting 
Pickett, plenty of work in the second half and in a in a game that was already decided at halftime. But I thought he played well, frankly. I mean, throwing in, you know in in a win situation, the win didn't seem to bother Josh Allen much, but got the ball to Pickens a little bit, got it to Deontay, like we were talking about in a couple spots where he got uh, down with his toe on the line, very nearly made catches that would have been big plays. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of weapons like you were describing, and this looks like a team's going to throw a lot. He ends up throwing for over 300 yards. Not the most efficient 300 yards, but the type of garbage time production that you'd want to see. It's kind of what's carried, you know, Jared Goff. Not not necessarily garbage time, but that idea that this team's going to throw the Lions when, when they're down. I mean, even this week, the Lions had a, a horrible outing as well, and Goff still has a decent enough fantasy game, throws for a decent amount of yards in what was clearly the worst outcome that they've had this year offensively. It was a strange game there where it was the first time that the Lions just didn't look ready to compete and the coaches didn't look ready to compete under Dan Campbell. A lot of throwaway running plays in the first half of this game. For whatever reason, they did not think that their passing offense, and obviously Amon Ra, again, not nearly 100%, not himself. The Patriots, the best team in the NFL at taking away the opponent's star. T.J. Hawkinson, after his massive performance, comes out and basically does nothing. Uh, you're not going to beat any team just slamming Jamal Williams and Craig Reynolds into the line. This was a weird give-up performance by Detroit that I don't really know what to make of. Yeah, it was, and yet Goff still wound up throwing for, like, I think it was like 225 yards, not a ton. but And he was getting hit a lot. They were getting blitzed a lot. They didn't have answers, very clearly. Uh, they're going into their bye. I, I guess the way I'm looking at it is they're going into their bye, and, and hopefully that was a – a rare situation. We do know that that Belichick from a defensive game plan standpoint can make offenses look really, really bad. And in a way that most defenses, frankly, can't. So uh, even when he, you know, doesn't have an elite defense, he can just game plan in a way that he found something on the the way that I read it is like, he found something on film that they took away stuff that the lions relied on and they just outcoached them. I mean, it's, it's kind of, Hard to put it any other way when the lines were so clearly lost, like you said. We're almost back up. We got the three running backs, two receivers, one tight end. We do get on the clock here. Alan Lazard, James Conner, the last couple of picks. You've got DJ Moore in the queue, four names down. You don't think this Matt Rule firing is going to magically make everything better for him? Well, which player do you prefer as the top guy here? I think it's more, honestly. But like, don't DJ more? Yeah, I was gonna say DJ, but we don't have to. We don't have to go there. We'll see if we got him. We did get him. So then the other three players: Elijah Moore, Terry McLaurin, Brandon Ayuk. I think all three of those are really strong bounce back options. Ayuk is just so close to breaking some plays. I don't think that the 49ers offense can be exactly what they've been. This is a decent price on him now that you have Jimmy Garoppolo and sort of Trey Lance, Terry McLaurin. Not a guy I like, but again, a great price here. Elijah Moore, the breakout is coming. Who do you like? We'll let, we'll let ourselves time out for Elijah Moore here. This, <laughs> this Jets offense is exciting. Zach Wilson is not exciting. He's really limited Moore and Garrett Wilson the last couple of weeks. That's not good for all of those Wilson teams, but opposing defenses are going to have to start accounting for Brees Hall. Ben, I just moved him to the number one spot in my running back dynasty rankings. I mean, that I, I've said it on a number of podcasts recently. I'm going to continue to say it. 
Brees Hall is Le'Veon Bell with speed. And I mean, that's an amazing combination there. Michael Carter is a pretty good player, but you can tell from the context how they compare to each other when they're out there on the field at the same time, just how much better Brees Hall is. Michael Carter is going to be fighting for scraps. Hall, somebody actually thought maybe we should consider at the one, two turn, he goes two twelve, which I think is a fantastic price yeah. on him. Yeah, I like all that. Carter's two touchdowns this week for anyone curious came after long plays by Hall down to the one. Couple is he the back. new Justin Jefferson? Yeah, he might be the new Justin. He had a 79-yard catch and run that was just so fantastic. Should have been tackled about the 10. And he caught it on sort of a wheel route. There were still receiver routes down the field where he caught it. It's not like he was in space and got caught from behind. Continued to make moves in open open field to keep the defenders from you know bringing him down. And he gets all the way down to about the 10-yard line. Probably should have been down about there. And he fights all the way down to the one. And then later had another catch where I, I wrote in my notes. I don't remember the exact play, but I wrote in my notes that he should have been tackled about the 10-yard line on both of them. And he gets down to the one on both of them. And, and then he comes off the field because he's, you know, exerted himself quite quite uh, aggressively fighting through tackles, getting down to the one. Carter gets one-yard TDs on the next play in each of those spots. Carter also had one more touch inside the 10. That came after four straight Brees Hall runs. So all three of Carter's in close touches, if you see that stat anywhere, they came after Hall just did something, right? <laughs> just got a lot of work. It was mostly breather plays the way that I was looking at that. I'm right with you on all the other stuff about his talent and how good he looks. He looks just absolutely incredible. I wish we would have taken him in every single league. I was I was the one of us that that was a little bit lower on Hall at certain prices, but he got really cheap. We started to get him quite a bit late, which was nice. Well, people talk a lot about closing line value, but the thing that we emphasize is that if a player should be higher, number one, you expect that they're going to get more expensive, but also if they don't, that also works out in your favor. The most surprising thing to me in this entire draft season was that Brees Hall never got the bump late that only made sense. And so he got a fall. Ball. I mean, he was three, four turned for a while and he ended up a late fifth in a lot of the, the late main events. It was. And we do have him on some of those teams. Those teams are pretty exciting. I think that he and Raheem Mostert ended up as my two highest exposure players in underdog, which is very exciting as we go forward. Raheem Mostert, a very nice week in what was otherwise a disaster for the Miami Dolphins. Then we're, we're coming back around here. Uh, Gerald Everett, our guy, is up. He looked terrible in week five when we needed him to fill in in some of these other rosters. Friermuth still available here. Jahan Dotson would be somebody who hopefully will come back healthy. We had the fun Diami Brown game in week five. Jerry Goff available. He's the top player in ADP. I think that we should go with a three QB approach here. Maybe Sam Howell in the last round as the third guy, kind of depending on how it breaks down. There are some you know, plenty of, of quarterback routes here. Jamison Williams, we don't miss as much of his season in this resurrection league. If we wanted to go that direction, who do you like? I don't have a strong take. We got five seconds. So you go what, what you're thinking. Well, Williams supposedly is ahead of schedule. We'll see if that. Well, if we're taking out. him, then you have golf at the top of the QBs and you like him. So should we just stack that up? I was a little bit um, 
demoralized by week five. But we'll put those two guys together there. We get a QB that gives us a little bit of a, a foundation to build off of some other names that I think are still pretty viable. You have Kirk Cousins with Justin Jefferson just tearing the world apart. Tua probably back in week seven, and he has those two elite wide receivers. We like to play the volume on Pickett. Derek Carr, someone who I, we're going to get a good price on if we want him. Yeah, Pickett I liked because we had Pickens. And so if we had a little more time there, I might have said Fryermuth, who you had added to the queue to get our second uh, tight end and also our second Steeler and play for Pickett on the way back around and kind of play for this Pittsburgh Steelers passing offense to be a little bit fun with a double stack. It does seem like one, as we were talking through the first couple of rounds, that we both agree is probably undervalued right now. And, and we're kind of talking about ways to play these in-season drafts where there are – I think that it makes a lot of sense to be correlating stuff like that even more now. You know, I, Sean, we've talked a lot about correlation. You're not as high on it as you know, some of the people that I like, – like Pat and Pete over at Ship Chasing that I do a lot of drafts with. I guess I'm kind of indifferent to the whole discussion because I don't do a ton of, of best ball drafts. But I do think right now, if you're identifying an offense like the Steelers that you think is universally undervalued and you're making a play on Kenny Pickett to be a valuable piece for their offense and their passing game to be better the rest of the way, it makes a ton of sense to stack that up as much as you can at, at affordable prices. And Fryermuth does go there at the 10.08. So that's about the price range for him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So then the question is, would you ever take Chase Claypool? Well, Chase Claypool available, Allen Robinson available. <laughs> Again, I, 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 That's where he got roped into immediately, is the, the least interesting player in all of fantasy, Allen Robinson. That's not a good tier to be in. <laughs> there are some cool names here. You know, Benjamin, some Mike really Bloom good plays, some really there. bad plays. In that game, Daryl Williams out. That kind of opens things up for him to score some serious points. Ben, we talked too much on the show about Rondell Moore, so we don't need to spend half an hour here during a draft. But I would be pretty excited if he came back to us. We got to see some really athletic plays from him in Week 5. Hey, he looked good. He even had the knee injury coming in, which made him questionable and kind of was not ideal for what his workload might be. The, the ADOT was way down again. His slot rate way up in his first game back. He played on the outside quite a bit. In this second game, AJ Green was back, more kicked inside, but his routes actually rose overall, and his slot rate was up to like eighty three percent. I think it was in like the thirties in in week four. That I thought was a great sign because it was getting him back to the role that he's hopefully going to play that we wanted to see him in prior to DeAndre Hopkins coming back, because Hopkins is going to take those A.J. Green snaps on the outside, right? I mean, there's not really another outcome that makes any sense here, although Cliff Kingsbury always shocks me. But you would think in a couple of weeks, or one week now, DeAndre Hopkins will be back. You're going to have DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown on the outside and Ronald Moore in that slot role. He did run a ton of routes because he, he, I mean, he was at like 96% or something, some really high number, meaning he was staying on and, you know, any kind of two receiver sets they might have done. A.J. Green was lower. I think when Hopkins is back, Moore is going to be in like the 70% range that we see a lot of slot receivers where he's the one coming off in two receiver sets. But another very encouraging sign for how they view him. He's a part of what they're expecting to do this year at the receiver position, it seems very clearly. so. And you just see the, the plays this last week that were still reminiscent of what he did in college, that sub 4-3 speed, making guys miss, looking Tyreek Hillish after the catch. He'd be my preferred pick here. Let's do it. I like that a lot. And the Cardinals are going to score a ton of points going forward. It's going to be hard to deal with him when you have those other two elite weapons. You got the number seven remaining strength of schedule at the wide receiver position. We have to make another pick. That's the beauty of being at the turn. We could go pick it here. We could go Tua here. Yeah, two is two is a pretty nice pick at this point. I mean, I do think he's going to be back pretty soon. Although, no, we, we need to take Pickett because golf's on a buy here, or we're doing a three quarterbacks, but we would take a zero at QB in week six if we didn't get it. If you're thinking Howell is our third QB. Sorry, we were really low on the clock there, but golf is on a buy this week. Tua is out. We were thinking about a three QB build, but potentially using Howell as the third quarterback. Yeah, you don't want to take the zero. That's a, we would have a very taken good a zero on our We have that issue game. right now with our chasing stolen bananas team, our two quarterbacks <coughs> are Jerry Goff and Tua. So. <laughs> to spend a little bit more on that on tonight's waiver run hopefully our direct opponent isn't listening to us to bid over but i haven't had a chance to check and see if it was our actual opponent we did bid on one of the teams last week on sunday morning 
where we needed a tight end. But it was a little bit ironic after we had just had that long waiver discussion. I thought that was interesting. I went ahead and put in the bid at one for Taysom Hill. He had gotten through, obviously, the first wave of, of waivers and was still available in many leagues. He was started in a very low percentage of leagues. His week five was not generally anticipated, but I was excited about putting him in there. Yeah. Unfortunately, we did not win the bid. The, the, the top bid was 13. That was actually one of the games we won last week, <laughs> but it would have been a very different score if we hadn't taken a zero at tight end. We won't even mention who we did manage to pick up and play. That was uh, Chickaconquo, wasn't it? Was it the was. guy that... It was that wound Jake. up on our so, roster. I mean, that was a kind of a fun one to throw in if you he know had a, anyway. But he had some type of near miss play, and I was like, "Well, at least he's getting usage." I think it was down by the end zone. I don't know if he got a call, a play called back by injury or had a drop or something. But I remember recognizing him, and then later seeing in the box score that he didn't have a single catch, and I was like, "Well, that was the only play." Apparently, <laughs> it was a, a near miss that I sort of cataloged in the back of my brain that I can't recall right now, but. Anyway, yeah, we took a zero at tight end. That was not ideal. We're approaching the 12-13 turn. We are not up again until the 13-14. You have Michael Carter and, you know, Benjamin in the queue. We had three early running backs. We've added a bunch of receivers. We never did talk about DJ Moore. I don't know that we really need to, but... um, Any chance to buy a bounce back or a change in circumstance... I mean, don't you think evidently will any insert uncertainty has to be, I mean, it can just stay as bad and maybe that's the most likely scenario, but any uncertainty has to be an improvement. If there is a like any change, like it can't get worse is sort of (laughs) the mindset that I'm taking right now. And I actually think they've been trying to get him the ball a little bit more the last couple of weeks, 19 targets over the last two weeks, only 18 over the first three combined actually had a season high in air yards this past week as well. They went downfield to him more by a lot. 135 air yards, I think it was. He had not yet had a 100 air yard game. A little bit encouraged by the fact that they're trying to, to seemingly trying to get him the ball. And then with the, the coach firing. You're going out of your way to ignore the fact that you're ex- very excited to play the P.J. Walker insertion. Oh, yeah. I mean, when P.J. Walker, I mean, he was bad late last year. But when he got one, one random start in 2020, D.J. Moore had his best game of the year to that date. Because <laughs> it was like... No more Teddy Bridgewater for a week. We get PJ Walker and, and it worked out pretty nice. I'm not like stoked about anything at quarterback. I, I guess the hope is that Sam Darnold takes back over at some point, but maybe the offensive focus changes a little bit. They the last two weeks they've they've also tried to get the ball to McCaffrey in the passing game more. It seemed like they've heard a little bit about how improperly they were using their best players over the first three weeks and, and started to do things a little different in four and five. And then rule gets fired. And maybe it was that rule was already losing his grip on stuff. And maybe that was McAdoo. And obviously McAdoo could be the problem as well. And he's still there as the offensive coordinator, but the way you can look at it positively is maybe we already saw some of these signs that were starting to shift a little bit. And at least the usage will get better. The efficiency has to get better too, and might not because the team is just so bad, but He's on our team now, and uh, I mean, I'm always winding up higher than the market on on DJ Moore, but I, I guess I'm a little bit optimistic about those targets. Uh, the very traditional fantasy analysis, he's been getting more looks, more air yards. Maybe that turns into something. What are you thinking here as we approach our pick? The running backs you had in the queue mostly getting scooped up. 
Chase Edmonds still there at the 13-14 turn. I wrote him as a guy that is probably a undervalued now. I'm seeing people say to drop him. I think you could drop him in shallower leagues, but obviously Raheem Mostert has some injury issues. Last week, Miles Gaskin got some run in more in garbage time. It wasn't really as a uh, you know as a negative for for Edmonds in my mind. What are you thinking here? Some more Let's receivers. Take two out of three of Sky Moore, Wandale, and Khalil Shakir. Let's take uh, you know, take the two you got the top. I don't I don't know if Shakir has as clear of a path. I mean, Sky Moore doesn't necessarily either. But in the thirteenth round, that's great to to still get to make that bet at this price. So we we take Sky. Do you, did you prefer taking Chase Edmonds? The I mean, Miles Gaskin working in there seems like there's a lot of frustration with Edmonds. Let's take Wandale. I'm pretty excited about Wandell. I mean, they just had Marcus Johnson run 97% of their routes. They they are and he was on made his debut in week four and only played like two percent of the snaps. And they made him their de facto number one in week five in terms of route rate. They're so thin at the receiver position that I'm pretty encouraged for whenever Wandell can get back out there. And I was with Tony as well, but I mean, I don't know what's going on there. The double hamstring injury is never really what you want to hear Wondell is a player who probably is going to have an a dot in that seven range and yet could also have a 30 percent target share going forward they're that limited at the receiver right. position it was strange to me that it took so long for darius slayton to get involved now again he drops a lot of passes he's a little bit of a vertical receiver in an offense that you know maybe is trying to have as many like plus success rate plays as possible just because they're not going to be a dynamic offense. But I did like seeing Slayton get out there, make some plays. But again, just everything here underlines what a massive target void they have. And the flip side of that is that despite that, the offense has been pedestrian as opposed to tragic. And so from that perspective, Dable, Daniel Jones, obviously you're getting the massive performance from Saquon Barkley. There is an opportunity there for a decent player, even if he's in a very much an underneath role to go and do some sort of Jarvis Landry ish early in his career types of things where even in half PPR, you got enough receptions to the table there. And Wondell so good after the catch, it's not impossible that he would factor in around the goal line. I think that he's a player who second half of the season should really outperform. I like that. Um, you asked about the Evans thing. I, I'll, I'll give a pretty strong take and say I, I, I was kind of talking about him a second before, but I do think he's a pretty clear buy uh, if you can get him cheaply in trades or if you can pick him up. I just think this is pretty clearly the low point of his season. They did start working Matt Gaskin in early in the second half, but a lot of his touches came on the last couple drives very, very late. And I, I, I think there's, you know, we're very excited about Moser, but we're also realistic that he's not necessarily calling him injury prone, but he's an older back who has had some injury concerns over the last several years. Yeah. Every time, I mean, really anytime any of my players touch the ball, I get nervous, which that's a tricky way to watch fantasy football, but especially with Raheem Mostert, you're like, just slice through, make that 15 yard gain and get down, get down. But uh, he's he's looked very good. Edmonds, again, the type of profile, you don't really need that much to go right for him right. to get back out there and be successful. They used him effectively around the goal line. 
That's what uh, I was I, thinking about. They've already used him in some interesting ways that if he does get back into a role in a good offense, it, I mean, he can sell a value this year pretty easily. One of the players who is very similar, and uh, we've had just such a Jekyll and Hyde approach with the Kansas City Chiefs and their running game. I mean, we just sound like a broken record when we look at this. Last week, I was excited about Isaiah Pacheco because he actually did some of the things people were excited about in camp. You go back out and make five, he has one bad run, and that's all he gets to do. And well, the very next McKinnon drive, the guy. very next drive, Jarek McKinnon rips off a 30-yarder to start the drive. They give him the carry on the next play, gets nine more yards, and they went right back to the way that they had been doing things prior to week four, which was Pacheco being in a very small role for the most part, other than the blowout game where Pacheco got some extra run, I think, in week two. Prior to week four, Pacheco had basically been in a small role, I think, in you know week one, week three, like just a couple snaps. And that's what ended up happening in week five as well, in part because McKinnon had the big plays. It seemed like sort of a hot hand thing, but they went right back to the distribution they had had. It also impacted CH. I mean, McKinnon went right back to being the lead in snaps and the lead in routes, which in week four when Pacheco was more involved and McKinnon was deprioritized, CH's snap share rose, and he played more on passing downs. So um, who the heck knows what's going to happen next, but uh, McKinnon definitely – has in his range the potential to to be in a pretty valuable role running a lot of routes and and out there so i, I love him here okay so we'll take him at the 15 12 shakir's still there that i mean that buffalo offense creating yeah, he so looked great. many points yeah he, he looks so great many points and it's something where i mean isaiah mckenzie looks good and i think that you have to take that into account he's not going to be out for a long period of time but we know in all of these situations that once the young guy starts to make plays, it's so hard for the team not to look to the future. I mean, this team, if they have digs and they have Gabe Davis, who, I mean, he did Gabe Davis things last week. And then you have Shakir, especially if Dawson Knox is going to have some of the health issues and just not a dynamic playmaker, somebody who mostly only gets targets when the defense is taking other players away, not a dynamic player in and of himself. I mean, Shakir's somebody who is pretty interesting. Now, he does have a, a weird drop in this game, but otherwise looks very, very good. And Ben, structurally, that gets us to a situation where we have the four running backs after we opted for a hyper-fragile early approach. I really don't understand McKinnon that late, other than I think you have to be skeptical about all of the Chiefs' backs. He's the only player there who looks dynamic, though. CH almost does get that score to keep his kind of strange run of high Two. fantasy points going he goes but, down to the one on two separate plays and, and, and kelsey catches a td on a lot like the breeze hall commentary but yeah ceh had two catches down to the one yard line well the one he is even overturned on right. that's the one yeah. where it really looked like he was going to get in it was the correct call to overturn it but you're thinking well that's that's his play where he benefits from the rest of the offense just an absolutely bizarre game where the raiders seemed like they had their game plan to be stop Travis Kelsey at all costs, except on the most important plays of the game. <laughs> so they broken coverage over and over and over down by the goal line. That was not the prototypical Tony Gonzalez triple team and hold coverage at the goal. I recommend triple teaming and holding Travis Kelsey as opposed to what the Raiders did. So we're, we're set there. We still only have one tight end. This is a, a Kyle Pitts protest draft. <laughs> As the tight end oh yeah out there we're gonna need another tight end we uh but structurally things <coughs> set up very nicely with the early running backs with getting a fourth running back we can count on four different buys 
the firepower now and the upside at wide receiver is immense. We have a couple of quarterbacks that we like. Two more picks, probably a third quarterback and a tight end, but a variety of ways we could go, really. Yeah, will you just isolate the tight ends there? My my option would be Hunter Henry here, I think. He's been running plenty of routes. John Smith's actually banged up. He was at a very high route rate this past week. He hasn't done anything yet, but I don't think his thesis has really changed, and we're going to get an opportunity to take him in the 18th round, basically. He's going to be a part of the passing game. It's not going to be great, but he could have a couple of touchdowns. And, and I mean, I don't think his situation has changed much from last year. And yet he's being valued substantially differently. And we have the bet on Ramondre Stevenson. It's a little bit of a, you know, correlation for the Patriots whole offense. He might not make it back. Kasiki and Komet both go. We are one pick away. What was Fant at route rate last week? Uh, I think he was still pretty low, but I will pick it up. It was nice to see him get some air yards and catch a pass down the field. The way that entire offense is emerging makes him a little bit more interesting now as a pure talent and sort of upside touchdown play going forward. Both Fant and Disley could score more points than was expected. I also like Dulcich here as the Broncos desperately try and figure out how to save their season but I'm not off of Hunter Henry at all. I think with just having Pitts, I, I kind of want a more stable option than Dulcich. I would be okay with him, but he was only at 58% routes last week. So it is, it wasn't a huge jump or anything. Disley's still playing a ton. I guess for me, it's just the locking in the routes and this struck, you know, this structure. We have the upside with Pitts. It's not your favorite way to play it. I know. Well, I like that Patriots offense a lot. So the question now would be, do we want to go Howell. with the third QB? Yeah. Do we want to go with Dulcich? No, let's take Howell. They're, they're sick of Carson Wentz already. I mean, we're on Sam Howell watch, aren't we? I mean, we have to be. I mean, you hear all the notes about how it benefits them to bench Carson Wentz. And you're thinking to yourself, it's not just from a trade perspective. It also benefits you if you're the head coach trying to save your job, you go out there and you have this fun offense with a rookie quarterback, you make some plays, you win some games. Number one, the team becomes more exciting. Number two, you can make a developmental pitch as that we're moving things forward. Number three, you actually win. I mean, Ron Rivera has so many incentives to go to Sam Howell. Uh, this is a little bit like the situation with Trubisky and Pickett, other than, I mean, obviously Pickett being the first round pick makes it dramatically different in a way that, very much matters but you could be halftime of week six and pull the plug i mean really any given play now we could see the switch commanders titans inactive report did include sam howell so he has not yet been active in any games which is not ideal they might go to taylor heineke for a stretch heineke is the type of quarterback that can you know bring a little bit of life i guess and maybe make Washington feel like they need to ride him for a while. Obviously, he was the quarterback under Rivera last week, so you could take some of Rivera's commentary about the quarterback position being not ideal as potentially a positive for Heineke. I mean, it might be something where Rivera really likes Heineke and goes right back to him. So, And Heineke made some plays for them. I, I just think that and, – and Rivera obviously has a better – sense of it than we do but you look at this and from a save your job perspective there 
is an element where you can make the claim that we're right there, we're emerging, and we just need to see a little bit more of this rookie QB if you play Sam Howell. If you play Tyler Heineke, there's no there's no argument in that direction. Taylor isn't going to create the change in fortunes, the shift in dynamic that would allow the coaching staff to keep their jobs. And I mean, you don't want to look too much into that kind of thing, but I mean, keeping the job is important to NFL head coaches. Obviously the the main incentive is just going to be to do a good job. Ron Rivera someone who uh, is going to value that the most. And, and they get to see Sam Howell in practice. If he doesn't look like the guy in practice, then it's going to be harder to make that switch. Obviously, once you're in season, you're you're just desperately trying to get Carson Wentz ready. But Ben, this team overall is a lot of fun. We do have the 12th pick. For me, it's a really fun mix of elite talents at a discount, of young potential emerging players, and for guys who have extreme second half of the season upside. Yeah, very fun team. We went Taylor, Jamar Chase, Kenneth Walker, Ramondre Stevenson, Kyle Pitts, George Pickens as our wide receiver too. Very high on him. DJ Moore, Elijah Moore, Jamison Williams, Jared Goff, Rondell Moore, Kenny Pickett, Sky Moore. We got all the Moors. I mean, every draft we want to have the Moore Quartet. Wondell Robinson, Jarek McKinnon, Khalil Shakur, Hunter Henry and Sam Howell, the, Sha- the Shakir pick, we didn't really talk a ton about. Uh, you mentioned a couple comments. He played really well. I really like it at that price. I mean, he looks good, first of all. Crowder obviously broke his ankle. I'm not sure. Is he on IR? Is he out for the year? I mean, he's going to miss substantial time regardless. You have McKenzie obviously coming back, and I do think you have some concern with Shakir that that's now – going to cut into what he did last week by quite a bit. And that's probably why he goes this late. And yet he's going to be a rotational fourth receiver. Some, I think at this point, they were already rotating four receivers. So the Crowder injury already opened up that spot, but the McKenzie injury happened the same week. I, I wrote up that I think he did enough in this game that McKenzie now isn't going to come back to a full role, which maybe the Crowder injury would have, would have felt like McKenzie was going to come back and be the full-time slot guy. I think they'll rotate enough where it's sort of 50-50 between those two guys for a while. And then obviously if anything happens to, to Diggs or Gabe Davis or to, to McKenzie, Shakir's pretty clearly the next guy up. His routes were way up there. We got to see a little of Isaiah Hodgins too, one of our throwback favorites. It was fun to see him out there making a play. It was awesome to see him. He caught a few balls, but uh, his routes were quite a bit lower than Shakir's. It looked pretty clearly like you know, he's still a step further behind. But again, to that point about them rotating four receivers, I mean, they were getting the next guy, Isaiah Hodgins, out there as well. So we're not going to see Shakir, Shakir just not play anymore because of the Crowder injury. Right. And my comment as we were kind of discussing this in a variety of teams and contexts last week for waivers was that Shakir, if you're not going to play him last week, and last week was a a real opportunity, then you probably want to be careful about how you're bidding because he's going to be a tricky guy to ever play in a managed format where you have to make start sit decisions in best ball. It is different. You're not going to have to do that. And you could benefit from if another injury 
does happen, especially now that we have more information. He looks good within the context of this offense. That part, not a surprise, but when you talk about where he was drafted, some of the mild red flags that he has, the fact that they weren't playing him ahead of some players you already would have some skepticism about in terms of McKenzie and Crowder, there are reasons to wonder about how he's going to look and how quickly he'll adjust to the NFL level. You're not going to say that he answered all those questions just in one blowout game against a team that really had trouble putting up much of a fight. But once you have that new information, when you don't have to make the start set decisions, when there are questions now about the health for both Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie, I do think that there's a lot of upside here. The Buffalo offense is one you just simply can't discount. Yeah, absolutely. And similarly, we took our swings of the Chiefs offense late with Sky Moore and Jerick McKinnon, same way as we were playing it early in draft season. The Sky Moore thing, I mean, we should discuss him a little bit, Sean, because I felt like I was watching him pretty closely in this one. I felt like he didn't look as good as I wanted him to look. It's just from a from a watching perspective, I liked him on the two wide receiver screens late where he got the ball in his hands. I, I thought he looked great on those plays. But whenever he was out there in a the snap, I was kind of watching his routes. It seemed like he's getting off the line pretty slow, almost doing like a little hop at the snap. He's running some more vertical routes and not getting into the route right away. It seemed like maybe he was, I don't know, thinking a little bit like rookies tend to. These are things that are normal for a rookie at this point, but maybe there is some reason they have been bringing him along slow. Maybe he is. Maybe the, the game feels a little faster for a guy who was a non-Power 5 college player. And again, we might expect that or have it might have expected him to take a little longer to pick up the speed of the game and, and to, to pick up a more complex offense at the NFL level. And yet, I, I don't think that's necessarily a really bad thing for what we've talked about with his potential to be a big impact player late. There, this is a team that intends to play into February, in, into, the, into the Super Bowl, right? And so they got a lot of games still ahead of them. They need to get their best playmakers involved. I, to me, it still seems just as likely as ever that Sky Moore, with the way that Juju Smith-Schuster continues to look like, you know, the version of him from the last couple of years and not the version we were hoping to get from, you know, 2018. And Marcus Veldes-Scantling does a little in this game, but overall not not done a whole lot. Nicole Hardman, I think, actually looks the best version he's ever looked, you know, of, of himself, but is not probably a guy that you can rely on a ton. Their offense still struggling in the passing game, right? Um Week 12 and on, they're going to need more from Sky Moore. I think that's pretty clear. It might be a little bit on him, though. Is I, I guess my really amateur film-watching perspective, it might be a few more weeks. He might need to build up a little slowly. But I guess I, I didn't take that as a discouraging sign. When I was watching him, and I was like, man, like you're not popping as much as I want you to pop. You're not getting out on your route. You're not even looking back. And Mahomes has already released the ball a couple of times because you're not getting out there quick enough into your route. Things are happening faster than, than than they're happening for you, it seems like. And yet, if that slows down at all, there's still plenty of room for him to, to perform. He looked explosive with the ball in his hands. He did. And I don't know that we should necessarily be that much more disappointed in the amount of play that he's getting so far than even someone like Shakir we just talked about. Blocked by guys like Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder, that's probably worse than being blocked by MVS and Juju. One of the things here is that because so many of these guys are new, the coaching staff is trying to be patient with them. And you have a dynamic in Kansas City with the Chiefs where Andy Reid is the type of coach who tries to give his players confidence, let them grow in the offense, 
a player-friendly coach who also is going to insist on all of the execution elements. And so I think they want to see what they can get from these veterans. And they know that even if they play relatively poorly or unexplosively, that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to move the ball, score points. I feel like I was completely wrong on my offseason take that Juju and MVS, along with then Sky Moore, would give them the type of weapons to free this offense up. Basically, everyone is playing poorly. You mentioned Nicole Hardman. He flashed in this game and did look good. The first four weeks, I mean, it was just what Hardman has always been. Somebody I'm grading him on a different scale. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And 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 that wasn't in any way um, contradicting your point. But just I, I did like seeing him actually look decent in this game. The screens to more at the end, if you're talking about another little red flag, that seems to come after Hardman actually suffers a little bit of an injury. And so even just to get those touches, you're relying on someone else being limited. But the big picture here for Moore is that it actually, he doesn't have to be as good now to to get opportunities as he would have had to be if MVS were fulfilling his part of the thesis and not just mine, but what Kansas City obviously expected of him. Juju, if he were fulfilling his part of the thesis, if Hardman were taking a legitimate step forward and was a more realistic actual receiver i mean those three guys look very very mundane and that is allowing teams to do some things against kelsey between the 20s i mean we mentioned how the raiders obviously failed with their plan in the end but as things go along and and even just you know you think about how poorly everyone in the chief's offense is playing because the running backs have been an absolute train wreck and yet CEH, despite himself, scoring a ton of fantasy points. The Chiefs offense scoring a ton of points. But CEH adds nothing beyond what is blocked and, and what is asked of him in the receiving game. I mean, every even play he gets, gets the that. ball. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, so, and if you're looking at how good a player has to be to score points in this offense and what the opportunity is for Sky Moore in the second half of the season, you know, if we come back and say he finishes as a wide receiver too from week 10 to week 17, I mean, I don't think that would surprise almost anybody just because the situation still is so good for that potential outcome based on everyone playing ahead of him one i guess sort of minor note as he started to play a few more snaps these last couple weeks hardman has been at his lowest route rates over the last two weeks of the season by quite a bit uh was in the 60s in terms of you know percentage of dropbacks that he ran routes on in two of the first three weeks was at 53 percent in the other game He's been at 44 and 45 the last couple of weeks. Juju and MVS still at a pretty heavy route rates. They were actually both at season highs in week five while Sky was in his biggest role. It does seem to me like they're seeing Sky as a guy who's working into some of the Hardman role and sort of how they view the roles and what they are thinking long term. That's maybe a little bit of a problem because Harvin's probably always going to be a little bit rotational. I guess that's a little bit frustrating for me because I mean, even in a game where MVS played really well, he has a pretty bad drop and he does that, you know, that's on me, but like, yeah, it's kind of always on you. You just don't have very good hands. Uh, Juju not looking explosive. But we get a drop from MVS in this game too. And we get a play from Juju where there's a little bit of a jump ball. And I mean, that was the play for me where I watch him do that and think to myself, I mean, that guy is done. I mean, that play athletically is similar to what I would have done in that situation. <laughs> That's not good. It's like a Zach Ertz play. I mean, it's like a bad tight end, right? Uh, unathletic tight end. It was not It was not ideal. 
And just, yeah. So the even if it was just because Hardman did seem to pick up a little bit of a foot thing, although he came right back in on that drive after his little foot thing and he hobbled off. But if that was why Sky Moore got those, those little wide receiver screens late, they did drop some plays that were to get the ball in his hands, and he did show a little burst and gain like 9, 10 yards on balls that he caught right in the line of scrimmage, well blocked and everything else. I mean, I'm not acting like he was a superhero, but he looked more more bursty and more football player-y than most of their receivers have looked all year. So if he starts to show a little bit of that, you have to assume, uh, you know, in, in the film room and on these, you know, in these game plans and in these decisions that they have to make that they're going to say – Regardless of how we do it, we have to get that guy in the offense more. And once the dam breaks, you could really see things shift. I mean, one of the drafts that I did very late at the end, a rookie draft that basically was occurring (laughs) in the final week before the season started, I traded in and selected George Pickens ahead of Garrett Wilson. And that move, after the first couple of weeks, you watch Garrett Wilson play, and he's completely impossible to cover. He's open on every play. He's scoring the touchdowns. And you think, well, I should have just stuck with the draft capital. And what we know about Garrett Wilson, which is that he's also going to be awesome. But now, a couple of weeks later, you're thinking, I mean, George Pickens may just blow Wilson out of the water because of context. It took a couple of weeks for Pickens to get where it looked like he was going to be based on preseason but now he looks like a guy who could jump ahead of Deontay Johnson, which is no small feat. The Chiefs don't have anything like a Deontay Johnson. Once things actually flip in Kansas City, I mean, you could be talking about a lot of volume. Absolutely. I mean, they they, they need answers, and they don't have them at the current moment. Um, any other big thoughts on Wandale? We talked a little bit about the Giants don't have anything. Uh, Elijah Moore, we didn't talk a lot about. You had him in there. I kind of defended the DJ Moore take. You liked Elijah over Terry McLaurin and Brandon Ayuk. He hasn't really shown us a lot of reason to like him. So what's the exciting element? I mean, the offense has been concerning, but even before the offense was concerning, when they were throwing a lot, Elijah Moore was not earning volume on a per-route basis. That's been a big concern for me as a guy who you know looks a lot at targets per run in those elements. He's ran a lot of routes, and he's just – it looks like he's in a, you know, whatever you want to call it, a sophomore slump. And you have Garrett Wilson looking like a guy who is very good at earning volume. So, you know, so far on the season, you have Garrett Wilson at 27% of his routes he's earned a target on. Really high number for anyone, including rookies, obviously. Elijah Moore earned targets on 24% of routes last year. 300 route sample, good sample, bigger sample than what he's had so far this year, and a good number. That's all the way down to 14% so far this year, which is a bad number. I mean, that's a really big concern. Garrett Wilson basically doubling him up on the number of routes that he's earning targets on. And then this past week, after Zach Wilson and Corey Davis showed a little bit of a you know rapport in week four, and Wilson did seem to like him last season, we got a flip from week four where Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson both ran over 90% of the routes and Corey Davis was the clear third guy to Corey Davis jumping to the clear lead. Elijah Moore running a season low in routes at 79%. His previous season low was 89%. He had been up over 90% in three of the first four games, drops all the way to 79%, loses some routes. Corey Davis jumps up to 92%. That's a season high for him. 
And Garrett Wilson coming off his first 90% route game in week four fell back down to 75%. So you had the, the young guys going from 90% rates and Corey Davis at 73, both falling down to the 70% and Corey Davis is at 92 in week five. Didn't like seeing that. Don't think that's a huge concern long-term necessarily because if these guys played at the level that they're capable of, the team already showed us that they kind of view these guys very favorably. Corey Davis, not the type of player who's going to be so good that it's going to keep Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson off the field. But that little flip in week five, already I think a reaction to, you know, the Zach Wilson-Corey Davis connection, Elijah Moore not really doing a lot so far. So what's the excited, you know, bull case for Elijah Moore? Well, you look at Elijah Moore, and he was someone who was drafted early in 2021, but probably was still a little bit undervalued when he did play, as you mentioned, was able to command targets, but also was just absolutely electric in an offense that was terrible. I believe in terms of receivers who had double-digit ADPs that he contributed the most fantasy points to starting lineups last season, despite missing a bunch of time with injury, comes back, has supposedly just an a fantastic training camp, the guy in terms of the New York Jets when you look at what they were doing in the offseason. And then he comes out and he's dealing with these quarterback situations again in the early going, lining up all over the place, running a very wide variety of routes and getting some of these deep routes that we like in terms of filling out a resume overall. You mentioned that he's actually not demanding the targets in quite the way or not generating the targets in the way that he has necessarily in the past. But even with that being the case, he leads the team in air yards. He has a racer of 0.44. Not surprising if you've watched these games and seen some of these passes that Joe Flacco threw to him where uh, some of them are, you know, borderline throwaways, but somewhere he's wide open and the pass misses. If you have just normal NFL quarterback play and he hits on three or four of these long pass attempts, then you look at him completely differently. I mean, it doesn't take too many of those to completely change your profile. You think about Marquise Brown and some of the situations that he's been in where he is now. Of course, the situation with Moore, if he's going to have an extreme target depth, which again, something I wouldn't necessarily expect to continue at least to that level. The thing that he needs to do to round out the portfolio or to round out the profile is add some of those other targets back in, catch a few balls, run after the catch. I mean, you wouldn't expect Elijah Moore to be third in that group in terms of yards after the catch, knowing the profiles of those guys. It's a bet on talent. It's a bet against Corey Davis, although Davis has played well. And it's just a little bit of a bounce back slash emerging bet on the quarterback position. But that's the part that I do have to admit that I'm worried about. You watch these games with Zach Wilson under center and, and there are big concerns. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with everything you said, especially the long V stuff on more. I, the only thing that I, I feel any, you know, disagreement with was your comment that if he hits on a few of those big plays, we think completely differently about him. I think we do to some degree, but I think I'm still concerned about his target earning ability, even in a deep role, 14 percent of routes to earn targets on is not good i mean you, you mentioned marquis brown he's at 24 percent. he's got not quite as high of an adot but sure but thinking about brown not where he is now but where he's been in the past and where was, he was as a young player was still and, always in the 20 20 percent plus range as as a target earner i mean well but again well, we're talking about the first five weeks here yeah, I mean, if, yeah if elijah moore ends the season in this range it'll be a disaster i don't think that he can do that with who he is 
and that's probably the clearest way to put it. I I I uh, agree with that. I'm kind of messing around right now, isolating certain weeks. It's just not really been good in any of the weeks in terms of his targets per out run. He was at 21% in week five with his routes down a little bit. But like on a weekly basis, 13%, 11%, 17%, 11%, 21%. I mean, even 17% would be lo- a lot lower than I would like to see from him, even at a at a high eight out. I would like him at least at 19, 20%. I mean, these are very, seem like very small differences, but well, you can't take those targets away from Tyler Conklin. Yeah, it's it's been gross. Where where New York is is prioritizing their passing game, at least uh you have to give them credit for immediately seeing how good Brees Hall is and making him the guy. Because that was that was something I was very wrong on. Thought that Brees Hall's rookie season, we've already talked about this, I've already done this, Mia Culpa, you know, this year, I think last year, last week or a couple of weeks ago, but it felt like. Well, but to be clear, you were also mildly above the market. It's not Yeah, like yeah. I still wanted to draft Brees Hall when he was cheap enough. We just talked to really intensely during uh, draft season, I remember at one point, and, and landed on, if we can get him in the fourth round, in the later fourth round, then we'd like that. And then late, at the end of the draft season, he was a late fifth, and it was like, all right, well, we'll definitely take that price. That's very exciting. He looks unbelievable. Well, Ben, this has been a fun exercise. Hopefully, folks will get out there, participate in this context. In this contest, again, you have approximately 24 hours from when this will release. You need to get your team in before the Thursday night game kicks off. If you want to get more Kyle Pitts, you can always do it in this format. If you want to get players who are actually good, you can do it in this format. You just want to draft more and have more fun with fantasy football, you can do it in this format. Join us over there, underdog. A lot of fun. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. We've talked some on the show the past couple of weeks about stealing lines. I'm really excited about that project with Dalton Cates. If you want to do some sports betting, that is the way to do it and to win. We'd love to have you over at Rotoviz. We have new writers debuting. If you want to write for us, you can reach out and let me know email the site dave cabin we'll take those dave also doing fantastic articles putting up new tools got blair andrews and the gang over there you can use the coupon code rv 2022 at checkout for a 10 percent discount on a one-year subscription then we have people leaving comments on youtube those are always helpful we have people subscribing to the feed we have people leaving ratings and reviews all of those things help us with the algorithm and since the algorithm rules the world that's a great way for you to contribute to stealing bananas. We love you guys. Good luck on Thursday night. Good luck in week six. We'll be talking to you again before that kicks off. See you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.